Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Giancarlo Esposito. And if you love TV and movies, you must subscribe to Watch Less Podcast with Carl and Frazier. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Watch Less, Complex's movie and TV podcast hosted by myself, the summer man, and the big pop culture deputy, Cal. What's good, Joe? Ever since the protests started and it kicked up other conversations about representation and, and other corners of different industries, we over here have been having some very, even more interesting, I should say, conversations yeah. with our guests. You know, Cal, actually, in this episode, you point out this isn't a political podcast, which no. it's not. It's a pop culture podcast. But especially following like the 2016 election and everything, there gets to be a point where politics of everything is kind of unavoidable. Yeah, this, this is the conversation. Exactly. And you're doing a disservice if you're not engaging people on these things. And there are different ways to engage it within your specific vectors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with our guests, some of color, some not. We've been having like some really, really, really interesting conversations about representation in Hollywood, mm-hmm. how that can be fixed, the ways in which it faltered to begin with. And today's guest is one of the best people to engage on that subject, Giancarlo Esposito. Legend. I mean, you've seen this guy in numerous things, but everything. one of the most seminal works that he's a part of that's been being invoked right now is Do the Right Thing, which of course mm-hmm. is... Unfortunately, all too prescient. And, you know, who better than bugging out himself to weigh in on how things have come uh, full circle and how some things haven't changed at all. And just as a, as a biracial man himself, he has a ton of insightful stuff to say about uh, race in Hollywood and the ways that it can be fixed and the ways that it's been, um, you know, the areas we haven't even been looking at. You know, he brings up a really good point about how biracial characters are kind of in this middle zone where they never really get the do that that they deserve. Word. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's it's a dope perspective to have because he's a guy who wasn't born here. Yep. And he ta- on this episode, he talks a lot about how he learned about race and color through, you know, just being a mixed kid growing up in America. Like, it's, it's probably, it's, it's one of the, I guess, worst ways to learn about those things because you never, you never learn about being, a black person or like of, of any race that isn't quote unquote desirable to some in yeah. a good way. It's not like, Oh, Hey, black guy was going on. It's always like, you know, some, there's always some <laughs> trauma or some like fucked up story that goes along with it. So, uh, exactly. It, it was, it's dope again. And again, you mentioned don't do the right thing anytime, you know, over the last, what, four or five years, I guess since Eric Garner, I feel yeah. like you, 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 you end up whenever there's a, a, an unfortunate tragic situation like this with the police and a black individual, especially with like a chokehold, that movie, that, that scene with Radio Raheem is an automatic. I, don't, I remember it's, it's crazy that cause I would have been what, nine, 10 years old. That was one of, that was the first Spike Lee movie. I think I saw probably the first Giancarlo acting role I'd ever seen. It's a heavyweight film. It's a heavyweight film, but he's also 
done so much since you know he, he he's on that that award season wave right now. He's back as Gus Fring, Big Gus, Big Gus. The penultimate season of Better Call Saul ended earlier this year, um, and you know. Wait, wait, we got to let them know about Better Call Saul, the Complex's official best show of the year <laughs> if you didn't, so far. If, if you didn't catch it on Monday, the uh, the best TV show so far of this year dropped. And uh, yeah, number one. And it was, um, Curb was great. Solid. There's something about Saul. I I, I wish, like the, the stuff we got Giancarlo, we saw Giancarlo doing his guts. This season was really great. I feel like it's really ramping up to a spectacular final season. But we didn't get to see as much as I would have liked to. It's interesting to, you know, to talk to him about to we go all the way back to, you know, when he first linked up with Vince and the crew at Breaking Bad to at least try and figure out if he'd want to do it. And it's funny to say that, you know, there's these roles that are so iconic for some actors and, you know, one false comment, one wrong comment and we might not have ever had Giancarlo as Gus, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's 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 dope to see that come. And he talks about he talks about that. He talks about being able to rediscover a character that was already iconic and he already played it. I don't know. It's it's funny to see people like him and Ashley Murray like they're kind of embarking on these new adventures as actors playing roles and sticking to roles for over long periods of time, especially time where there's actual chronological time in between the different periods of the, of the series that they're playing. That's a good point too that you bring up. It's like you got uh, the really the really special actors can find a way to make playing the same person not just the same thing. Word. If that makes sense, it, it takes a good actor. Also, takes a good creator because they could have they could have easily fucked you know Gus up the second time around and gladly they stepped it up again. But we don't just talk Better Call Saul with them. There's a lot of it. You know, he does. He does mention talking about playing a younger Gus. He talks a lot about being a black actor in America. I mean, it, 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 that dichotomy is real. Another good thing that he brought up that that to your earlier point was he brings up how you can flip that trauma and and not pay it forward, but overcome it. You know, for the next generation. You know, he he grew up biracial, and now his children are biracial. Mm-hmm. And so he talks a lot about raising them and and teaching them both sides, and to love and respect both sides. Again, a, a, a poignant conversation for a very important time and a very well-spoken guy doing it. Hell, we even get, you know, some random conversation about when he used to be a roommate with Larry, Lawrence Fishburne back in the day day. Right, right, right. Super day. Uh, it's not time. it's not all uh, super serious, too. I mean, he's one of those guys who can engage on the serious stuff yes. without being, um, you know, preachy about it or making it sound like a lecture. And he's also a guy who can, uh, you know, weigh in on, on some of the more sensitive topics yeah. with some fun, too. And, you know, he doesn't shy away from anything. I mean, you couldn't get Giancarlo Esposito and not ask about his boy Aaron Paul being a part of the widely lambasted actor's I don't know, PSA, you would call it, that yes. they did. So, you know, he touches on that, too, and where that maybe went a little tone deaf. So he doesn't hold back. Yeah, pulls no punches. Fun interview. I mean, I want you guys to let us know. After you listen to this episode, this interview, let us know where you rank this in the uh, <laughs> the hierarchy of greatest watch less interviews so far. I, I feel like this is a good one. Get some popcorn, get a drink or two, or, you know, whatever you do. Do you, tread, do you treadmill? You don't listen to podcasts, aside from us, right? And and load management. I actually I do I do um when I do listen to like you know the competition <laughs> it actually isn't it isn't the gym that's the best place to do it yeah treadmill riding a bike whatever you do <laughs> you got some time so uh, tune in after this quick break. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Watch Less. We're uh, currently in a string of very, very special guests. Uh, today is no exception. I want to say, I think the first time I saw this man in a film, it was probably Do the Right Thing. It's probably Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. He played Bugging Out. It was probably, I would have been, gosh, eight, nine, <laughs> ten years old, something like that when I first saw it. And I think he was probably at that time, one, with, with Warrant, one of the angriest black men I'd ever seen on film. I greatly appreciated that, but I also greatly appreciated following his career as he grew, he was in a in, in a string of Spike Lee films, uh, both before and after that. But he's blossomed. He's played drug dealers like Esteban is in Fresh, the film that I, I hold near and dear to my heart. He's had an amazing career. I know a number of people probably know him best these days as Gus Fring from Breaking Bad and now in Break and Better Call Saul, which is nearing the end of its time. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito, thank you for joining the Watch List podcast. Thank you. So happy to be here with you today. How are, Legend. How, how are things going? How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've taken this time during this shelter at home period to um, redefine myself and my goals and values for the next few years. And that, of course, includes getting some uh, equal justice for uh, African-Americans who've been dehumanized in our country. Mm-hmm. And so I've been thinking, what can I do to be in support of all humanity. Now it's become a world global movement. I'm very proud to um, have been able to survive Mm -hmm. being a black man for all these years, (laughs) (laughs) which is not an easy feat. So I'm I'm blessed to to feel as if uh, I've lived long enough that maybe I have some wisdom about me now. And some of that anger may have been uh, channeled in a new direction. Yeah, it's been we, a good time. We were actually talking about that before. It's 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 been a blessing to be because we've been. I mean, I guess we've been sheltering place since uh, mid March, and we had just started. You know, this podcast you're on now, maybe the November before, and we've been able to chuck chuck along throughout. Thank God for the internet. We've been able to you know maintain our careers and everything. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, when we can work from home and work through our Zoom calls and be connected somehow, it it helps us with our craft, but it also helps us stay in touch with the world. Definitely. Now, Giancarlo, how have you been processing your creativity in quarantine as well? Are you still reading a steady stream of scripts or even doing some things, you, some hobbies you didn't know you had? Yeah, well, you know, I, I've been gardening, which oh, has nice. been uh, a great joy to be able to, because again, when everything started to close down, you know, I started thinking, okay, there could, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And one of the words, two of the words that came out of my mouth were civil unrest. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if that did happen, I'd just go out to the garden, I'd have to go out of the house, get my lettuce and my carrots and my beets and people to, <laughs> people to eat. So that's one of the things. The other thing is that I've been successfully recording from home, which mm-hmm. has been fantastic. My learning curve has been um, a little bit stunted because I haven't been in the studio in a long time uh, 
doing my own engineering. When I was in college, I had my own radio show. Oh, and nice. so it was called Jazz Time with G, and I'd engineer myself, and I'd spin uh, discs and, and have a really good time. So it's bringing me back to realize I have, um, I'm a little technically challenged in our new world, mm. but uh, <laughs> the way to do it is to sit down and work it out. Yeah. So I've got my little recording closet I do some recording from, which has been fun. Got two podcasts. Uh, also did uh, the wraparound introductions for a television show, which has been great. Could do that from my library, but I also was able to venture out and do some stuff, you know, out in the out in the field on location. Nice. I'd I'd seen something that during quarantine you actually you were watching Breaking Bad as well. Is that true? Yes. Well, you know, our our I was watching actually the new season of Better Call Saul. Okay. Before okay. it was actually on air, oh. so I was I was watching all that to sort of get prepared. I have not gone back and watched all of Breaking Bad yet. Oh, okay. You, do, do you have plans to do that at any point? Because I, I, I do. find it's interesting. Because um, normally I don't watch what I do until mm-hmm. it's until you've seen it. Mm-hmm. And, okay. you know, I wait. Uh, especially if I'm doing a series because I feel like creatively, if I am working on a series and watching it at the same time, I feel like sometimes I could get a little lost in mm-hmm. what I do, and that could affect my next appearance. Mm-hmm. So I try to be in the reality, in the realistic zone, that I'm just playing this character until it's done. Yeah. And then when it's done, I can go back and go, oh, I was just the entertainment. I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, so- I, mean, I get it now. It was a TV show. Well, I was actually <laughs> living that. <laughs> I mean, you talk about living that. What's it like to live in a guy like Gus's head for a time? Like, are you super method when yeah. it comes to stuff like that? Well, you know, I, I, I don't consider myself super method, but I like to stay in the character when I'm on set. And I certainly, uh, on a day of shooting where I have a, a six or eight o'clock call time, I'm certainly up at four thinking through the ramifications of what I'm about to do scripturally that day, what our mm-hmm. story is and what it is. So maybe I am a bit method. I feel like I get in a space, a yoga space, mm-hmm. because yoga was the impetus for me setting up and realizing Gus's calm nature. And it led me to the idea that he's more of an observer of people to figure out h- how to manipulate them. So within his observance, he, he checks off boxes. You know, this person wants this from life. Mm-hmm. This person aspires to do this. This person doesn't have the means to do this. And he figures out what a person may need and what that trade-off may be to go into business with that person. And so Mm -hmm. Gus is very thoughtful, which I like about him. He he thinks about the future. He thinks about the bigger picture of things. Do do you inherit things like that from your character? I imagine not not so much the the darker sadistic side of Gus, obviously, but, you know, Gus is, you know, he's suited up, you know, he's very particular. Yeah. (laughs) Do do you pick up anything like that from a character like this or any of your characters in general? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. Things that I like, I pick up. Things I don't, I discard. Uh, But, you know, part of Gus's look when he was outside of Los Cuatro Hermanos and not wearing the yellow shirt and the black tie was that he was very put together. So I suggested in being put together, he should be a bit different. Why mm-hmm. don't we do him in monochromatic colors? And that's how his look started because it came out of a part of my own style that, that I carry, that mm-hmm. I, I lent to this character in order for me to feel like he's at home. Now, what it came out of not only my own style, but to take it one step further, it came out of my thinking about this man's personality. And so when we think about personalities, we think about what makes us feel whole 
And Gus is all about presentation. He's in the food industry. Mm-hmm. It's presentation. And the way he presents himself, um, he's clean. He's very meticulous. He's, he cares about how people react to his food and his drink and his attitude. And so in many ways, he guides you to where you need to be uh, and where he wants to have you for you to be able to contribute to his organization the way he wants you to contribute. Gosh. You know, you talking about your input just led me to think about how collaborative it sounds like working with Vince Gilligan is. And it always kind of throws me when you think that Gus became such an integral part of the Breaking Bad narrative. And that wasn't even something that they had planned out from the beginning. Like the way his story is interwoven with, you know, the, the whole mythology and going back to other characters was kind of something that they just seized upon after you'd already joined the show. It was. You know, I, I did... Um the last two episodes of season two, and they were already asking me to come back uh, before I got off the plane from the first episode. Mm. And I said I would because I liked the way it was going. Never, and so they said after I did the second guest episode, would you come back for season three inside a contract? I said, no, not right now. I, I would take a lot of conversation and be talking to Vince about what he had in mind. And so they said, are you sure? I said, yeah, you're going on hiatus. Why offer me a contract now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sent him away and they came back after hiatus, offered me the contract, at which point I, I expressed I didn't want him to speak to Vince. And in my conversations with Vince was this collaborative nature of someone who really wanted to be a part of a new and fresh idea. So once I said to him, look, your stage direction hiding in plain sight is what guided me to perform the way I did in the first two guest episodes that you had me on. So just so you know what I was thinking, I was honoring this hiding in plain sight. You don't know who you're meeting. You don't know what your neighbor's doing. And I was fascinated by that. So I took it a step further in talking to him about the kind of um, villain or non-villain businessman that I wanted to create. And he was fascinated by it. So yes, the collaborative feeling on this particular show, the sharing of ideas, was really a wonderful way to go about joining this show. However, when people, sometimes when people collaborate, they lose their sense of what they originally intended or what they wanted. And that's not the case with Vince. Vince was so tickled by the idea of that character I wanted to create that he was inspired. And as he said to me, I was inspired by what you did in these episodes. And, and I said to him, well, I was equally inspired. And so that, creates a wonderful collaboration. So your mm-hmm. ego's not crushed if he says, no, I don't want to go that way. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, it's, but I do like this idea you have. And I do like this. And then what writers do, it's so weird because actors, we're in a fishbowl, man. Like <laughs> all the writers, producers, network people who chime in that we don't even know about have something to say about your performance. And they suggest to the writer, maybe that's too much. Maybe he's too calm. Maybe he should be. So all those voices, I don't really hear. But the writers in the writer's room watch you from week to week, and they pick up on little things. They pick up on, on the fact that you're always fiddling with your top button. You don't know whether you want your shirt closed or open. They pick up on the fact of all these little things that you do, and they're watching you. And if they like you, you, re- you start to understand when something's included in next week's script that you do, that they observe, that's you. May not even be the character. And they write that in, you get the sense that they really are respecting who you are and what you do. And then you realize, oh, they're getting inspired by some of the things that they're seeing and they want that in the script. Now, Giancarlo, you and Vince together created 
and just two seasons and chains, one of the most iconic characters of, you know, television history, I'd say. But to that end, were you ever, did you have like some reservations about revisiting the character in Better Call Saul? Like, did you for a point think that, you know, we did it, it's done. I don't want to tinker with it anymore. I got to tell you, I was finished. Yeah, uh, That's exactly how I felt. Those were my, my words almost verbatim to myself. What more do I have to show this character? I had, and again, before I joined this show, I had to talk to Vince. And I was hopeful that the show was going to ref- bring something new, new information about Gus out, even if it was subtle. And Vince and I spoke for a long time, and he said, well, part of the allure and the mystique of Gustavo is that we, we always want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. And so the majority of who he is in this particular show has to be a mystery as well, which part of me was disappointed by. Like, I, you know, because I have felt like there's, there's uh, traction and there's merit to a show that's, that would be titled, in my brain, The Rise of Gus. And I felt like his story has yet to be told and still could be. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not doing The Rise of Gus, why do I want to go back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know true. what I mean? And then I thought about the experience of, that I had previously with these writers, and I thought about the idea that Bob Odenkirk is not just a comedian, but a very fine actor. And I thought about the idea that this show could be more about personal relationships than Breaking Bad was because it's a smaller show that has now grown to be moving in the trajectory of edginess and violence that Breaking Bad started at. So part of the reason I did it was because I thought these will be incredible bookends in our historical film world of a show that was really able to move itself away from being one thing to move itself into being a new thing about a person who has to make a decision about what their life is going to be. Such important things for so many of us in our world, especially in the world as it's moving and, and transpiring, uh, transferring its energy to, uh, to a new level today. So we all have that ability and power to make decisions over our personal relationships. And it's certainly a big decision that Jimmy McGill is making to be on the wrong side of the law. But that is where, where he is. That's where he excels. That's what he's good at. So part of this moral tale of Breaking Bad into Better Call Saul is about making a choice for your life that you love. And as much as, as I look at Jimmy McGill and he disgusts me as a character, um, because he has such potential to be what I want him to be, mm-hmm. he's being who he really, his true self, who he has come to realize he really is. And I think there's something to be said about that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned, you know, being a little upset about not being able to see as much of Gus's life as, you know, you might want to see on screen. So I want like for someone like you, when you get a character like Gus and you realize, hey, he's not as there's, there's a lot of work I need to do on the inside to kind of figure out where he's coming from. Do you have like a, a playbook for what you feel Gus's past is? And adding on to that, have how close is any of that even gotten to be especially in like better call song were there things you thought of that kind of like 
manifested themselves a little bit when we're seeing a younger Gus in throughout these seasons now? Well, my challenge going backwards in time was to play someone who was a little less in control uh, and to try to show that, yeah. to show someone growing to be a person who's going to um, bring together all the cartels under one roof and he would run it. So uh, it's always a challenge to go, oh, Gus is always so cool and chill, but this is before, so I can let go a little bit. I can be a little angry. I can show a little more emotion than I did previously. So there's always a challenge behind going backwards. I always feel like, and, I, and it's part of my um, journey as an actor, that I have so much to give and I want to give more. And so, and I know I'm going to give, when I give, I'm going to give all of me and my best because I've done so much research and I've figured out who this person really is and what he really wants. And, but I want to be able to show that. And so if the writers aren't giving me that airtime, I have, I have to do what I do in a less, with less airtime and, and less of a, an ego involved in it because I want every scene to be indelible. Mm -hmm. So, and then I have to realize my place in the show. You know, it's, the show is called Better Call Saul. Yes. It's <laughs> called Better Call Guts. <laughs> so that's the that's, next show. You know, so I, I have to know where my strengths are. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's been a joy to be on this show, I tell you. Uh, and, and I realize there are no small parts, you know, whether I have it per episode five minutes or ten or one scene mm -hmm. that takes two minutes, I'm going to bring my, my full game to it because I respect the story that the writers are trying to tell. Mm. Well, I'd have to imagine, sorry, Kyle, but I'd have to imagine just going from what you said that even still, Gus is probably the, the top thing you get on the street from people. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I get a lot of recognition from playing Gus. And what I like about the recognition I do get is that it's respectful mm -hmm. uh, because it's peppered with a little bit of fear. People don't know <laughs> if I'm that guy through and through. And I say to them, well, look, you know, I play that guy. So there's got to be a part of that guy that's like me. Mm -hmm. So when I learned how to act, it was like, <laughs> take the best and leave the rest. And so, yes, can I be that intense? Yes. Can I stop one of my daughters with just one look? Yes. <laughs> Is there that inside me somewhere? Yes. Because people are, are, are a combination of, of, of how they were raised, environment they were raised in, and also, they're a combination of their dark and light side. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of them making the choice of what am I going to be today? Am mm -hmm. I going to be nice Giancarlo, who's, you know, Mr. Yogi, prayerful, mindful, humanitarian human being? Or did I wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Am <laughs> I going to be inside the skin of one of my, you know, uh, despicable characters? Uh, and... Because you asked this question, and it reminded me of a story when I walked by, I think it was, was it Fences? No, Kenny Leon was doing the last Denzel play on Broadway. This is going back a few years. Mm -hmm. and, and I always felt like African-Americans were, were a little slower than everybody else to catch on to Breaking Bad. Like, mm -hmm. this, is, this is like my crowning glory to sit here with you two right now. Because <laughs> it, no, it is. Because... You know, we were a little bit late. No, yes. And, and well, well we were early. We were yeah. on time. Yeah. You well, were I, on time. I, I, admit, <laughs> I, I caught on. It was the end of season two, I think. But I, I saw one episode. I'm like, damn, I need to binge all this. Because season three was coming up in a couple of weeks. So by the time season three was coming, I was fully on board. But go ahead. I'm sorry. There you go. So 
I walked by the theater. They were loading in the show. Denzel was in it. And Kenny Leon was outside with some of the African-American Teamster workers as they were loading in the show. And I was on my way to a voiceover audition in a suit, looking high and tight, just walking. And they stopped me. They were like, oh, my God, it's Gus. And Kenny Leon was like, that's Carlo. Well, oh my God, it is John Carlo, but he's Gus. Kelly, I was like, I know. And I stood out there <laughs> with these brothers for 15 minutes. And they were going on and on about how good Breaking Bad was. Applies, I'm so happy. Pass the word on. We got to it now. Mm-hmm. And I turned to walk away from them. And they've been talking, Gus, 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 Gus. And my whole posture was different. And I, I, I'll never forget it. For two blocks, I walked. And what's wrong with me? And I went, oh. Gus, get out of here. Get out, get away. <laughs> get back. Step back, brother. I had become him physically. Yeah. Because that juice and love was coming at me. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I was Gustavo, and I said, oh, man, he takes over like that. Mm, so, wow. yeah, we, I carry um, characters with me, and it takes time sometimes to let them go. Mm. And, but it is important for the actor's psyche to let it go and to put it behind you because that's where we get confused. I was just saying in a previous interview, you know, look, I play a lot of it. And I was talking to John Favreau the other day. Mm-hmm. We're possibly working on a, a different project besides uh, Star Wars Mandalorian together. But mm, nice. uh, I, I realized what I haven't told my children, my four daughters, and is that every day that I leave my house, no matter where I am, get in that car, there's a little note to myself that happens that is that little bit of like, <gasps> okay take a breath. Not only because I'm out in the world, but also because I have this color skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what am I going to share with my children? The, how I feel. And I, I sat and I said to myself, well, I feel, what do I feel? I feel afraid. Mm-hmm. And that fear to me turns into hypervigilance, anger, and self-defense. Because I'm always looking, it's going to come at me from somewhere for one reason or another. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that made me sad. Yeah. That I'm, I'm a successful at my craft and my work and my artistry, but that I still live in fear of a police society yeah. right. that might well, remind me that I'm not only am I a talented, wonderful, committed, creative artist, but that beyond all that, none of that matters. So when all this stuff happened in this country, I said to myself, you know, it don't matter who you are. Yeah. You don't matter who you are. So I was really tickled when so much of Hollywood started to share their photos from their homes and got slammed. I knew that was, for, <laughs> you know, for banging the pots. And I always wanted one of the pot racks that Ellen had. I always wanted one of those pot racks. It's yeah. 7 p.m. Yeah, you know, I don't have that kind of home. But, but, but I, I, I know it was all with good intentions that they wanted to share themselves, but Sometimes misguided, I look around my little humble abode that I'm in right now, a little small little house, perfectly fine for me, and I realize how blessed I am. Mm-hmm. I have this space of calm and peace to do my work, talk to you, do my thing. I don't always feel that way out in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate. No one should feel this kind of feeling. So I realize, man, I, I got a little work to do too. Mm-hmm. because I'm holding a lot of anger from years of being stopped unjustly, put on the ground, cuffed a couple of times, told, you know, all those things I've experienced as well. So, uh, but I have hope that humanity is going to come back and we're going to, we're going to wrestle with this problem and get finally 
get some legislative change on the book so people can feel not just it's, it's hearsay, that their voices are really being heard, mm-hmm. that something's really going to change. I think we, it's time for that. Yeah, really put yeah. some play into action. Yes, exactly right. And it can happen now uh, because we've gone to a new level. You know, still some violence happening around, but uh, I, I also believe that some of these marches have been co-opted. You know, look, mm-hmm. right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, last night, you know, National Guard was pulled out and there was a, a group of, you know, basically, and I don't want to, you know, downplay it. Mm-hmm. I wish I could get their name exactly right, but they are of that white supremacist ilk at a rally. Mm-hmm. Someone got shot. They were responsible uh, because they're trying to create this, you know, mass upheaval mm-hmm. for a reason. So, but I believe that in the end, you know, look, man, it's for the people by the people. Yes, definitely. You know, and I won't, I'll just say our leadership is sorely lacking and sorely off the rails. Yeah. And so when you see that happening, we need to save his ass too. Because he needs to go, <laughs> right? Because otherwise something horrible is going to happen. Yeah, no, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. That, you know, he's living in a delusion, his delusionary state. I understand it. I get it. Part and parcel how he was raised, age, we get rigidity in his thinking, all that stuff. He thinks his position is other than what it is. Mm -hmm. See, in his brain, that's his position. In my brain, man, you stand up, you make a statement, you make a speech, you talk to people, you go, hey, let's just cool out. This is what I'm going to do. I'll hold myself responsible. We'll sit down and talk. Let's chill this out for all people. Let's get to the table and work it out. We're not hearing any of that. So people get frustrated, you know? Yes, definitely. I feel like we keep having the same conversation, but I think people are, this situation's hitting different. And I think a lot of it's because everybody was forced to be home because of COVID-19, you know? It's seeing a black man murdered by the police on a cell phone camera. It's not new to anybody who's been paying attention for years. You know, I think a lot of people who may not have paid as much attention couldn't turn their eyes away from you know, that eight minute and 46 seconds, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, that, you know, again, the, the, the plans and the comments that everybody are being making about change can be put into action. It's an election year, you know, this is the time to make a lot of those changes, especially with leadership, whether it's at a state level, government level, what have you. This is not a politics podcast, but this shit is important, y'all. And you got to pay attention because we don't want this happening further on down the line. No, and, and we in our world of entertainment, I mean, I feel slightly responsible for all those law and orders I did. You know, I played a lawyer there, but I played police officers in a few different venues. And, you know, I sit here thinking as the world revolves, how much have I lent to the, to the feeling uh, that, that the police have ultimate power? Because I played those officers. Every day now, I look and see more and more uncovering stories about African-American officers who have slighted their own people as well, or who were embarrassed to be on that front line, um, you know, dispatching tear gas and pepper spray, mm-hmm. um, knowing that against their own people. So, you know, it, it's, it's systemic and endemic in the way that we as a people have, you know, we fear, you know, we go two blocks into the African-American hood and we're like, okay, we're in the hood, lock the doors, roll up the windows. That thinking alone, yeah. You see yeah. some black folks, you got to, yep. you know I mean? I mean, I was in Cape Town doing a movie last year, man. They told me, don't, when you roll up to a stop a stop sign or a stop light, don't get right on the car in front of you. Leave yourself enough space to get out. Mm, and wow. you can never have your window below crack that much. Even oh, wow. that much dangerous because they pull your window down and rob you. Exactly. And they're, wow. they're, they're Africans who are doing that in Cape Town, mm-hmm. right? 
So it's like, wait, 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 really? Oh, they'll rob you as quick as they'll rob me, the white teamster told me. Mm. You know, oh, golly, really? You know, so we're talking about a world where we have to look at things in a completely different light because it has been so instilled in us as African-Americans. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to be afraid of our own people. It's mm-hmm. crazy. So I have to take responsibility for some of the roles I've played may have led to, to having police officers being a bad light. Now, I can't believe that most of us as African-Americans, and I'll get off this in a second, that you two don't know a black or a white police officer. You know police officers. I do, too. So all this went down, all this anger, and, all this, and I thought about my past, all the incidents. I could go through visually mm-hmm. all the times that, that indecent and illegal things happened to me by the police. Either I got out or I didn't or I had to go to jail or got whatever it was, mm-hmm. right? And all that anger still plays on me. But then mm-hmm. I sat here and thought about my buddy Rich Richmond, mm-hmm. police officer in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh. And then I thought about my other buddy who's a cop. And I went, wait a minute now. So you know, don't go with the thinking, the flow, the thinking everyone's bad. Because yeah, yeah. Rich is a good cop. Mm-hmm. And I know other good police officers. So, but we get into that thinking, just like we think, you know, don't drive down. Now, I wouldn't go down Cornell because that goes through Martin Luther King and that's yeah. what you're talking about. That's real. You don't want to be there. Those right? are real conversations, yeah. <laughs> now, now want- you, you know, you mentioned um, some kind of pushback to your celebrity peers. So, and speaking of that, I want to get your thoughts on the, I think it is called the I Take Responsibility Initiative that came out last week. What are your feelings about that? I love Aaron Paul. You know, there's a bunch of three or four actors in there that I know. Stanley Tucci. Mm-hmm. You know, look, their hearts are in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But the one thing I thought about it was everyone was trying to be so damn sincere. And I understand if they ask me to do that, I'd try to be sincere too. Right. Mm-hmm. But the other part of it was there weren't enough, there weren't enough color in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> I just felt like, wait, what did you guys miss something here? Yeah. Right. It's- you know, if I were producing that, I would have coupled people up, mm-hmm. black and white. I would have asked every one of those actors to bring their favorite friend who's African-American, Asian, Indian, whatever, do it with them. Because mm-hmm. you know they're going to get slammed. I looked at that thing, I was like, so sincere. My eyes were tearing up a little bit. It yeah. almost had me. Yeah. But there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough uh, uh, color mm-hmm. represented there. And so I understand. Like, maybe I need to speak out to this more because my feelings are really real because I'm an actor, so I go to moments that, that have lived for me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, look, I go all the way back 25 years ago when I got stopped with my former wife, who's white mother of my children on the Brooklyn Bridge for changing lanes. And I had used my blinker. They insisted I didn't. They came out of their cars with guns on me. Mm, and I'm, wow. you know, on an early date with the future mother of my children. And she, they came both sides, guns drawn completely. Mm. I'll never forget it. Like, wow. I was like, that's it. That ruined my date. This woman I'm falling in love with, yeah. she's going to be running from me. You know, you know what I mean? I remember that like it was yesterday. So mm-hmm. unless, so when you talk about this article, mm-hmm. I think maybe the suggestion might have been to have them come up with a personal story mm-hmm. so that yeah. we don't feel like it's just white speaking to black. Yes. I, I have experience, which is why all these interviews are reminding me to speak to my daughters, you know, to speak to my girlfriend in Europe's son, who's mm-hmm. six, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, to wow. know what to expect, 
I don't want them to be hypervigilant like me or in fear, but I can speak to it from a visceral standpoint because even down to the last shooting last week, mm -hmm. like the dude grabbed Taser at Wendy's. No, I mean, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Ran away, pointed it back at them. No, you're just pushing the envelope to get that bullet in you. Mm -hmm. But even with all that, I can understand that. He was afraid. Yes. It's his life. It's he his turned life. and booked. He, did, he tried to protect himself. He was scared. He was afraid. And he was also, whatever he was on, he was on. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I look at that and believe me, I look, I say, that could be me. That 100%. could be and not in the movies. Because mm -hmm. I'm a good runner. And I would be hauling <laughs> ass out of there just like he did. And he get shot in the back. Mm. Mm -hmm. Such a tragic, horrible thing. I'm wondering, because, I mean, you, you've, you've spoken, you know, just with, you know, in the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes talking about different experiences you've had being pulled over and things like that. But it's, you're also in, I don't want to say a different experience, but because you were originally, you know, not born in America, you came into America as a child, right? That's so, right. So I came here at six years old from Italy. I came well, over on a boat. Did you have any concept, like was race or anything, even a concept in coming to America? How did you learn these types of things? Especially the fact that like you are a black person and that is seen differently to certain people in America. I learned it in America from Americans. Mm -hmm. I came here never, my mother was really disturbed. We were in Germany uh, before we left. We wound up in Italy. My father's from Naples. My mother's from Alabama. We were in Germany. Mm -hmm. African man came to deliver the groceries to the front door. We opened the door. My mother said, get the door. We opened the door and my brother st started screaming immediately. Schwarza, Schwarza, Schwarza. Mm -hmm. He freaked out and ran into the closet. I, I followed him in there. My mother came to the door and saw what we were talking about. Blue, black, Nigerian, delivering the groceries. And she realized we have a problem here because mm -hmm. they don't see that I'm black and their father, Giovanni, is white. Mm -hmm. So that's when she realized, oh, they don't see color. So I came to America and I saw color because she had to educate us because mm -hmm. we would go to church and the sisters would say, oh, you got that good hair. They do hair. You can't do anything, won't it? It goes straight or curly, whatever you need, right? And oh, you're different. Look at them long eyelashes and that little cocoa skin. You know, uh -huh. so she started to prepare us that we would be looked at differently, and thus came my being ostracized in this place I call and love America. I call it America, but I was ostracized from a young age by both black and white because I didn't fit, didn't belong. Mm -hmm. That was a problem. And I started to be accepted in the African-American community after my work started to reveal itself that I was an artist. Mm -hmm. And so after the right thing, things started to happen because people were like, oh, because people would like, oh, he's Spanish, he ain't black. <laughs> you know, like they would put you in your little box. Uh -huh. And so I learned this hypervigilance from my experiences in my, in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's just different than anyone else's. And each incident can be different for all of us as African-Americans, but what links us up is that there's always that possibility. There's always that possibility that something out of the ordinary could happen mm -hmm. and that I have to be, stay as calm as I can be to preserve my life. And, you know, so how often do you, are you walking down the street in Manhattan and the police car, you know, kind of cruises up to you and checking you out, it's going slow, doesn't say anything. Do you feel like, oh, like that's intimidation. But, you know, it is. It's that scare tactic that police use while they size you up to see if you're a candidate. 
and that's unfortunate. But it will change. It can change. Unpack that a little bit. Because, I mean, you know, you, being an actor, being in Hollywood, one of the things that has been coming up, uh, whether it's the Me Too movement or now, a lot of people are reexamining the uh, constructs within their particular industries. And I know Hollywood's always one. And anytime award season comes around, you know, Oscar's so white, you know, there's not there's, there's a lack of you know diversity, whether it's here. Britain, whatever, you know, it's 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 a problem worldwide. Do you what do you think Hollywood needs done or what do you think uh young creatives in Hollywood should be starting to do to help change that system from the inside out? Well, I, I think you really have to be sensitive um and go through the right channels. And I believe that that is most important because when you represent yourself in, in the correct way with the right words and the right statements and the right protocol, people have to listen. Uh, they have to listen. There's no way around that. You're not screaming. You're not irate. You're not angry. You're, deb- you're, you're laying out the code for the new world. Mm-hmm. And believe me, this has to happen. Um, we take two steps forward and five steps back. Um, and, and we have a year in Hollywood where there's been truly unconventional casting and, and we have African-Americans who've excelled, who've been up for awards, and we go, we go from that to nothing, you know, yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's really kind of unbelievable and amazing. So uh, I do believe that as our stories start to become more universal, mm-hmm. then people will start to understand the, the pain that African-Americans have gone through, the complete, um, ostr- we've been ostracized, We've been put out of business. The African-Americans who go into business and become successful are on their own, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Because it's taken them so long to get where they need to be. And they're looking back going, oh, sorry. You know, some yeah. are reaching back to help, but others are like, yeah, I'm here. I, I got out. Yeah. Got out of what? He's still in the world. <laughs> He's still here. He's still here. So it, it's really, really interesting. But I think that our stories will start to illuminate the progress that we're about to make. Mm-hmm. Because as we, and I encourage young filmmakers, actors, performers, artists to create their own stories. Write their stories with creativity. Write them and tell them as they are true to be so that people can really see and understand and feel that it's not just, you know, that, that our voices aren't going to be falling on deaf ears, that people really, really will understand. What do they understand? They understand family. They understand connection between their children to their, their daughters and their sons and their fathers and their mothers. They understand those stories. I got a text from dear friend Steve Chisholm, anesthesiologist, worked so hard in Long Island, in, in Bayshore, in a hospital. He's been on the COVID unit for three months, mm-hmm. seeing death. And, and he's just, he wrote me and said, man, fuck, excuse my language, my okay. parents had to go through this. I had to go through this, and now my kids have to go through this. Yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of people are feeling that way. So that means people are ready for change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're ready for change. They're ready to look at you and I and go, oh, okay. And you, you know that look that you get. That look you get is, uh, oh, you're an educated black man. It's like, oh, fun. I'm speaking to someone I didn't expect to be speaking to. Mm-hmm. Well, what yeah. did you expect? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but just being in this position in terms of talking to actors and directors from films and TV shows. It's funny being that black guy in the press junket and 
you you get the you know the five minutes seven minutes whatever with someone and they're like that was a really good conversation it's like yeah i've been doing this for a while for a little while i i i I guess you thought we were going to talk about jay-z and sneakers but you know we we can do this you know we can do this thing here now getting back to you know i appreciate all the all the other wise words you shared about you know the the system and the way the world is today but i do want to get back into gus a little bit um just because when when this final seat this is going to be the last time you're playing gus is it again again is it weird now leaving gus was it weirder now than it was back when breaking bad was ending Oh, much weirder. You asked such yeah. good questions. Yeah, because I, I played in another incarnation. I got my whistle wet again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so we've, 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 done, we've done Walter White. We've done Saul Goodman. Now we can do Gus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It is, it's very weird because I thought I was done. Mm-hmm. And I really, really, and it wasn't a ploy for money or anything else when I had that moment in time where it's, do I really want to go back and do this again? It's, it was really about how long, what, I think about a lot of things. Do I want this character to define my whole career? I don't see how it can. It's certainly a crowning glory, but I've done mm-hmm. so many other things in this last year. I've done four other TV shows. Yes. Uh, yeah. And all reputable Mandalorian, uh, uh, The Boys, Dear White People. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to, and, and very, very proud of, and a show you must see, I'm sure you're onto it, Godfather of Harlem, Godfather of Harlem because yeah. it, it really exemplifies a, a contemporary revisit of the movement that we are back in now mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. back then it's 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 the, the you know swiss beats music is is brilliant it's a brilliant retelling of that freedom story that we have to make good on now so you know i feel like uh yeah i'm, I'm ready to be finished let him go because mm-hmm. i i never and I, the blessing for me with the the advent of cable television and 13 episodes is it was it's not like the 26 or 22 you do in network tv where you're that character all year long every year i've done five other shows i've been other characters it's been a blessing but it, it'll be nice to finally release gus to the ether mm-hmm. um yes because there's something about beginnings and endings that are very very important beginnings are you know that anticipation anticipation and wonder of creating something new and wonderful that might be different or perceived in a different light that might show me and my talent as an actor in a way that no one's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. That's the beginning. The, the anticipation, the wonder, the excitement, the collaboration, the creativity. And then the end is, you know, it's, it's like the beginnings and endings. The end is the bookmark, is the completion, is the fruition, is did I do it? Did I convince the audience? Uh, did I do all that I set out to do? And that's satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And to have that satisfaction, it's like when you do something in your life, set yourself up for success. Because you want to have that feeling of being satisfied and complete. I did that. I made this five-minute short film. I did it. It has my view, my vision, and, and what I think about what's happening in the world right now, and it's creative. Mm-hmm. That stands for me. So for me, my work speaks for itself and stands up to injustice and other things by the characters that I choose to play for a reason. And Mm -hmm. fortunately for me, I've had the ability to make those good choices. Yeah. I want to follow through on your choices too, because I'm sure that, um, you know, once you play such a visible, uh, beloved character like Gus, you can kind of be in danger of people approaching you, wanting you to do a similar thing. And you've been very good about dodging that. I, I really have. It's asked of me quite a bit. Um, could you sprinkle a little more Gus into it? And yet when I agree to do the gig, 
this guy is nothing like Gus, but yet they want that. Mm-hmm. They want that, that Gus centeredness, that Gus calmness. So I try to avoid it when I can because that's reserved for Gus. I'm sorry. Uh, I can create that. <laughs> I can create that feeling in another way um, by um, creating a different kind of nefarious feeling or attitude about the character. Uh, but yes, I, I don't want to repeat. Yeah. I feel like you know, to me, um, to repeat is is just to be playing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like I want to be out of my own skin in playing someone who is completely new to me yeah. that I have to discover. And that discovery is the journey of an actor. Now you mentioned, you know, you said nefarious. It does seem like though you do enjoy playing the heavy on quite a bit of these shows. You know, Moff Gideon is definitely shaping up to yeah. be of that antagonistic nature. Yes, well the Moth is someone who wants to control the world in many regards. Part of him wants to save the universe because it's all collapsed. But the other part too and Gus had a bit of this. Uh, Moff is a little different. He's a little more hot-headed, and he likes to fight and does his own fighting. But he also feels like he can do it better. Like, you know, I can, I can put this universe together, back together in a better way. And what we don't know about Moff is intriguing, is how he knows everything. Like, he knows about people. He has information. And that, that you know, for me, is uh, a reflection of the world we're in now. It's all information who has the information and can recite the information back and is so very important in our society today mm-hmm. about people's record, about what they've done in the last five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, all of that, it, it plays right into the political aspect of our country. Mm-hmm. You know, don't forget, have a good memory to know what's been going down for the last 100, 200 years mm-hmm. so you can be informed for it not to happen again. Moff's got the information. He's got also got that damn dark saber. I mean, it was it, it was cool to see. You know, you, you, I wish we had gotten more. I'm, I'm I'm assuming when season two comes later this year, we'll get a lot more Moff. But uh, I wanted to see you swinging that thing around a little more before the uh, season one ended. So I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for season two. It's coming. It's coming. We got, we got, we got some we got some action swinging of the saber. I tell you, doing I, your own stunts. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I mean they're they they have some a great stunt crew who just you know we get in there not a lot of time but um, sometimes even on the day and uh, really just train up and do it. Uh, but yeah, I did all my own stunts on that, uh, and I'm very excited at the, at the team that they put together. Yeah. This show is just to be working on a show in this universe is I tickle myself every day. I truly do. I went back and looked at some of the old moths. There was one in Peter Cushing, uh, a 40s actor who was excellent in one of the, the Star Wars uh, trilogy movies. Because I had no, I, I watched the first few movies, but I didn't have a lot of information okay. in terms of being a Star Wars fan fanboy. Mm, so I yeah. went back and looked at a lot of stuff so I could feel what this universe was. And what is different about our Mandalorian world is that it is a true Western that encompasses the mythology of Joseph Campbell. Yeah. And that's important. And important for our African-American community to know about Joseph Campbell and the power of myth. Because we, in all communities, our young sisters and brothers and children, sons and daughters, need to know that that hero mentality can be theirs too. That that is something that we have to aspire to, figuring out how to be our own heroes. Mm -hmm. Because we haven't had many role models 
and figuring out how to be the hero and champion of someone else. Because to share that and pass it down puts us in a place where we understand that the nature of heroism, feeling important, feeling like enough, feeling equal, feeling like we have a contribution has been lost in our community. Yeah. Because, you know, we have a contribution and that contribution in, in the days to come is going to become more and more important to this society. Because we will be asked, mm -hmm. you know, how does it feel? And you can describe mm -hmm. that feeling and you can put it into words and why you feel that way. And you can put it into words that why no one should feel this way. Mm -hmm. And then people will start to understand the people differently yeah. on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. They'll get it. Like, are, are we really thinking that we don't have some of the same hopes and dreams? Mm -hmm that other people have? Are we really thinking that ours are so different? Is it really too much to ask to be justifiable in exactly. your criticism? Yeah. To, be, to, have, to be justifiable in your view that not every person is the same? We haven't even talked about folks who are running around with mental illness who are immediately put down. Mm -hmm. There's no, so the whole system needs to be changed and I think it's moving in the right direction to help people where help is necessary and needed. And to have an understanding of people, because that one step back for half a second can give you the whole person's whole story, mm -hmm. you know, which would guide you to, to deal with them in a different way. And this is what we're going to come to. The people are going to become more astute at reading each other. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably why, I mean, I, I, when you're saying it, I'm thinking about how I've seen myself or been able to, I don't want to say quantify, but kind of like justify our existence as a black community. And again, I mentioned bugging out and do the right thing earlier. I, it, the movie recently just turned 30 years old, I think. And it keeps coming up, you know, whether it's just looking at a protest because one community felt um, they were not being represented compared to another one, police issues, or just the fact that, Hey, I want to see myself, you know, I, I appreciate being able to see a black person on screen. It, it's always been my thing where, Who's that black guy? That's, that's how I learned about people like you and character actors in general, because, hey, you see that black person, I follow the black guy. You know what I'm saying? And I think, because I thought it was me, or I thought it was, you know, I didn't know what it was. That's probably where my love of movies and TV came from. But I know, like, being around kids, like three and four-year-olds, especially, you know, children of color, they gravitate towards it. They, If it's a little black boy, he wants to see Black Panther on screen, because, hey, someone that looks like me, they're a superhero as well, you know, or they're just a guy that, you know, happens to run the, the local store or whatever it is, you know, it doesn't have to be the same depictions and things that turn into, you know, stereotypes because of color and things like that. So I think when you, when you mentioned earlier about young creatives telling their stories in a creative way, I mean, that's do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's a lot of these films that uh landmark films, especially for African-American actors and filmmakers and producers that it's those types of stories that at least for me helped show me that I wasn't alone. And I think I can hope that we can get to that more now. Absolutely. Know? Like I, I, I feel like I'm in one, I'm, I'm in another club being a part of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's so many actors out there who are African-Americans who no one knows their names. You see them in bit parts here and there and they're never destined to be a star. 
but they those folks also need a strong amount of recognition because they forged a place for themselves. And so I went from you know the outsider club, literally from being feeling so outside of this strange place that we call America because I was unacceptable being a mixed race person to part of a club when I was successful because I simply because I did what I do because I love it and do it well. Mm -hmm. So it's a strange place to be because I'm yeah. in this club that is not hasn't always honored yeah. um, my African American side, hasn't yeah. always honored my Italian side, and certainly hasn't yet has yet to honor my mixed culture, my mixed race side. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole other story that I think we need to start to tell those stories too, mm -hmm. because those yeah. are important. Just yeah. like the conversation going on in my family with my four black daughters saying, "Okay, do you understand your mama?" There's some resentment there right now because you look at her and you see white. Uh -huh. So you're falling for the bait. Why don't you look at her and see you came out of her belly? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, you want to down her for her supposed white privilege? Do you really understand what that means? Mm -hmm. do, you do you understand in the context of that who she is? But these conversations, like the one in my family is happening, is so very important. It's yes, important yes. not only to my career and what I've done, but to help me realize Part of the reason I didn't move to Hollywood was because I didn't want to be tainted. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be special. I want to be you know, committed to my work. And I really, truly love what I do. I'm not a celebrity because I don't just use my celebrity to be the celebrity star. I'm not the huge matinee idol movie star. No, I'm commit, you know, who might play themselves over and over again, but they're so handsome that they're the matinee idol. No, I'm the guy who says, look, this is what I was meant to do and I love it. And I want to inspire people, all people, not only African-American people and Indian people and Chinese people, but all people. The stories I'm interested in are the stories that, that are told that we can all relate to. And that's what this media is doing for us, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And the more we understand different cultures, the more, you know, I go back to Martin Luther King, who was so moving to me, and Malcolm X, because it's the, po it's the, it's the politics of fear that have us not understand each other. Mm. Now, when you walk out of a movie set, you're in a club. You're part of the family. We understand each other. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's assumed, because mm. we're doing all doing something for a common goal. And now, it's reflected, and, and that common goal, some people there may, you know, have an agenda, you know, because back in the day when TV and film showed only one side of our culture, mm. you know, they had an agenda to keep it that way because people wanted to feel safe and soothed and sated and cool, and there's not going to be any, you know, excuse me, but ain't going to be no mon monkeys running through the neighborhood. It's all good, mm. you know? Mm. And so it's the fear and so I realized we fear people who are different than we are. Why? Because we don't know what their culture is. Yeah. Well, why don't we get to know it? Why don't we get to know it so we can be more comfortable and have an understanding if we're interested? But that's been the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, no, we haven't been accepted yet. And so our acceptance and my acceptance into Hollywood, I'm grateful for because it's built on meritocracy, mm -hmm. on what I do, on how I perform and how I do it. Just like the black man yesterday who called the police, he said, okay, I'm calling. He had a friend of the police force who he knew. Brother had dreadlocks. He was an inspector. He had dreadlocks. He probably packing the whole deal. 
but he was African American man who looked oh so black. So he said he had to call. I'm going to this neighborhood. I got to go door to door checking meters or whatever he was inspecting. But he let the police know he was going in case there was any pushback. And he, you know, because now they see a black wow. man in their yard checking their meter. It's like, oh, call the police. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, so, yeah. You know, so now we, we were able, some of these stories that are coming out will be able to be made into films that are heartwarming and beautiful, that allow us to be part of each other's cultures and understand what we've gone through, thus engendering more respect, Word. right? More understanding. Oh, I get it. Okay, then I can say to you after you tell me a story, I can ask you, can you put that aside for a second and look at it this way? I understand your pain. I respect it. I understand what's happened to you. Now look at it this way. Then the conversation can happen because we understand each other better. Mm-hmm. You, you, you mentioned Malcolm X, and I, I have to I just, it, I just remember when I rewatched the film, I guess it was in February, it was on Netflix. Um, I forgot that your character is one of the brothers that uh, helped take him out. Was it weird? Like reading for a movie, knowing full well that, like, hey, I'm going to be one of those guys that gets his ass kicked because I, I, I helped kill Malcolm X. So weird. Because um, I had studied up on the assassins and Talmadge Hayer, uh, who I played, was one of them. He had a couple of different names. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas 10X was one of his names. Wasn't even really corroborated that he was, that all of them were really there. He was there. Okay. And mm-hmm. went to jail and uh, about five or six, seven, eight years ago got out of prison. Wow. Uh, but certainly very weird to play that role in such a powerful film. Uh, one of the people who wants to si- wanted to silence his voice, I-, I think there was a lot of complicity involved in X's death mm. uh, with the FBI and the police department. They-, they needed to silence him as all of our great leaders at that time were silenced, black and white. Mm. Uh, but very, very important film for me to be a part of because it, again, why part of the reason to be look at my blessings as an actor is to revisit history, to learn more about what the real facts were, mm-hmm. to find out what the personal stories were. And it's informative of my life that I can dive into a role and take it that seriously to learn the historical uh, pillars that have happened during history to inform me that, okay, where we're at now. And again, I go back to watching that Minnesota Police Department burn, hearing that chant of no justice, no peace. One night last week, 11, after George Floyd and thinking, this is doing the right thing. This is doing the right thing. I mean, I had tears in my eyes. I went, wow, this is the movie. Spike was way ahead of his time. And then the sadness hit me because, you know, that was 1989. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, another summer. You know, you, you know. I mean, yeah, and we're in two thousand. We're twenty twenty. It's crazy, and we're still dealing Insane. with this. All I can say is, man, I'm just trying to spread love, get the get the legislation changed. Tell white folks that I love you. I'm not worried about you. I want you to know me. <laughs> Why can't we have that reaction? I want you to yeah. know me. Definitely. Why don't you sit down with me and know me? Um, it, it's it, things are things are about to change drastically. Yeah. Well, I think wise words. Finally, and in an effort to get to know you, I have to ask. I saw a note that back in the day you used to live with uh, Lawrence Fishburne. You you guys were roommates. At yes, one time. indeed. Do, 
I can't imagine what that should be a series right yes, there. That could be a series right there. <laughs> with, 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 without getting yourself in trouble, like, can, do you remember one of like the craziest times you two had? As because I, I guess you guys were young actors in New York, just trying to make it. I, I went to LA for a work search on a show, and Lawrence was there, and we were both auditioning, and we met, and we became fast friends immediately. Uh, before we ever even worked together, we were trying to figure out how we're going to work together, mm-hmm. and uh, we both went away from that gig. I don't think either of us got that pilot. And I went back to New York and Lawrence hung out in LA and I called him. He said, Hey man, I got a place. You got a place. I said, yeah, I need to come out for a work search. He said, I got a place for you. He said, okay, where are you at? I got a loft down on Vignette street. I said, Oh wow. It sounded all plush and great and cozy and whatnot. <laughs> and I get there. My, my second day there, I connect with Lawrence. Yeah, you can come stay. And we went down the alley, stepped on a five gallon, you know, paint can to get to a window, <laughs> went through the window, and this is my loft. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was a mess. He said, I'm going to put this here, this here, this here, and we're going to make this thing. And I was like, oh, Lawrence, man, this place, this place needs way too much work. I don't even think we had a toilet. We took that five-gallon paint can, and we were going to the bathroom with that for a couple of weeks. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, yeah, we, we, we have lived through it. Uh, but we got made our auditions and tried to get work. I think uh, I left after about a month. I was so grateful to have a place on the hard concrete to sleep. <laughs> Put my head down. <laughs> but we were crazy back then. Uh, and without getting me into any more trouble, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I think that'll do it for us today, Giancarlo. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Greatly appreciate that. The work you've done is Gus and Better Call Saul, but again, just throughout your career. Blessed well, to have you, you know, on the podcast. I want to give a I want to give a quick shout out to a, a role you did in recent year that we didn't talk about. Cal's gonna laugh because I always scream about the show when I get a chance because it's so underrated. But uh-huh. Jet with Carla Gugino was he one of my Jet. favorite shows of last year. It is, a, it is really so well done by Sebastian Gutierrez, who directed and produced and wrote every episode. It is a fascinating show that really takes that that noir crime drama to another level. Carla is impeccable. Uh, I really enjoyed doing that show. And that was all last year, too. I had a good year. It's always great to talk to you guys. I mean, it's just, what, what a pleasure and an honor to be um, in such a great conversation. Appreciate you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, man. Another, another classic. It's got to be Giancarlo. Bless the pod with a great conversation. For me personally, again, as a fan of his work, but also just a fan of important conversation i think uh i don't know how this is not a top five again so far so far it's it's going to be a high bar after after giancarlo blessed the pod which he should you know appreciate that yeah i mean every time that i post one of these each week you know i never want to be corny and say oh new favorite or new like bucket list guest or whatever it seems like i'm just doing a shtick but it kind of is you know always shifting yeah yeah shouts out to being able to 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 get better with every episode. I, I, I love what we're doing here. But before we get out of here this week, we did want to, we mentioned at the top of the, at the top of the show that uh, the best TV shows of 2020 so far dropped on the pop culture channel on complex. You can head over there and check that out. 20 shows. Um, don't want to spend too much time talking about a lot of them, but were there any, what would you say would have been, well, I think the one thing that comes up with mid-year uh-huh. that's always – because we, we run into this in December as well because you run into it about um, – more so on music, but mm-hmm. when you decide to publish 
determines what might not make the cut. Yes. And, uh, you know, mid-year, that, that happens even more so. So I think a big one that people might be reading this list and wondering where it is, is um, I May Destroy You, which mm. I don't know if you've checked that out yet. I've I, With everything um, work-wise and everything else going on, I've not had a lot of time to devote to that. But I, I love Michaela But you don't Cole. need to – yeah, I was going to say, you don't yeah. even need to worry about that because you're big no. Michaela Hyde. Yeah, you I, I love – I and I know it's half-hour episodes. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an easy watch when you can get to it. Yeah, once I start, I know – and it's – it's not over yet, though, right? Is it ten episodes? I think there. Well, no, that's what I was going to bring up. So it's like that—that's a show that came out of the gate really yes. fire, and um, plus a lot of critics were given the entire season. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can't really uh, publish to that, even though we have access to those episodes. We can't yeah, get ahead of that. So it's tough. You know, at the time of this, at the time we were making this list, I think one or two episodes have been out. So it's, it's just not eligible at this point. But that is going to be a big one. Yeah. Um, end of year. Definitely. Don't be surprised if you see it on the, the final, the, the end of year list in, in, in December. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's one. And again, I pro- I, it probably wouldn't have been but a different situation, but I do know that when we're doing these lists, it's hard. It's really hard to include something that's not complete at that time. Um, or, or at the very least complete for a certain amount, like a mid-season thing. I could see that happening. Yeah, two or three episodes in when we're doing it, unfortunately. It just it, it it's not enough time to develop. December will make it work. I'm glad we got Dare Me on there though. Yes, R.I.P. I, I I didn't realize that it was no longer on Netflix. It's on Hulu. It was on uh, Netflix. Whatever for, works. Whatever helps people realize they fucked up. Two months, three, not even. We were in quarantine when that hit. Uh, when that hit Netflix, but yeah, yes, go, for sure. It's it's it sucks that it's one season that ends on a crazy cliffhanger but it's in terms of just like good television this year structurally i mean the acting isn't my favorite throughout the show but i love the story and i love the way the story was told um i'm actually really sad that Jeremy's not coming back so uh yeah it's definitely go check out our marlo kelly episode though (laughs) back in those archives baby um, I, you, you pulled the executive decision and we got Dave on here, which I do respect because this can't just be a Frasier list or it can't be a Kelly list. Um, <laughs> there was, there's too many people. We gotta make, we gotta do it for the people too. And too for some many. reason, all of you guys fuck with Dave. Yeah. Uh, it's well, again, it's God bless. We, we've had this conversation on the pod before, but I can't, and I've gone back and I've been watching more Dave and there's a good show there. It's just that it's surrounding Lil yeah Dickie. i mean I, I i don't i don't contest that either i just i just don't like little dickies so. i feel you i, I i'm I, it, did it get a season two i think it got a season two. Oh, how could it not how could it not being a, a smash like that yeah beating beating atlanta um i'm just i it's gonna be one of those shows that i'm gonna have to check out just because of the conversation but it's not Facts. like appointment like i might end up streaming the entire thing uh before we have to make a decision for a list you feel what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, there's too many, too many of our peers, too many people in the audience loving Dave to uh, nix it. Now we mentioned our top two, Better Call Saul and Curb. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curb definitely, if there was no Better Call Saul, I think Curb has an easy shot at number one. 100%. We talked about this uh, on a, on a pod two not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Curb is one of those shows where it's like the fact that it even is still delivering at this level is impressive unto itself. 
crazy, crazy. And when you remove those guardrails from it, like, you know, that benchmark, it's still just great TV. And it was a really soothing thing to have in quarantine. I wish more of the season extended into quarantine. Yeah, it it definitely set up because you figure what it was what the last like three episodes, maybe. Right. It did. And and it was funny because one of those episodes, what was the finale? Or was episode nine when it was like mad fucking uh Purell? Purell, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh you know, he didn't know what he was doing, but he really he really spoke that into existence. Exactly. Um, no, nah, but yeah, again, if 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 Saul A, if Saul hadn't dropped yet and B just wasn't as good as it was, Kerr would have been an easy one. Would have yeah, been I don't know. I, I mean, you know, from the way everyone talks about Saul, I don't see that dropping very much for no. the rest of the year. I mean, we yeah. got a lot of time. Six months is a lot of TV time. Yeah, yeah, and literally one hundred relevant shows there, can there, drop between now and Christmas. A lot, a lot of good TV coming. Um, this list could absolutely change, especially for like the latter. Like the latter half of this list is it's going to be an inch, it's going to be interesting to see what makes and what doesn't make it. Well, if we want to talk about divisive comedies that got a second season, really quick, uh, Black as Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, and again, you know, speaking about the just the fucking particle accelerator mm-hmm. that's quarantine. That doesn't even that feels like it was a year ago. It feels forever. And it was what March, April? It was March. Um, I and I probably watched it like four times now. Maybe Jeez. I'm the one that likes it. I don't know. I'm fine. No, with I it. mean, I, uh, I thought it was cool. It's I, one of those shows where you know when we talk about this with Cord. It's been a conversation that's been happening a lot recently. We might actually need to dedicate like a whole pod to this get back on our TV nerd shit. Mm-hmm. Apparently, you guys like when we get nerdy as long as, long as it's accessible. But, Shouts to y'all. Um, you know, and in today's climate with streaming and uh, and how many shows can be greenlit at one time, how much attention you're fighting for, a lot of shows don't get to live up to their potential. No. And when you look at a lot of past favorites, that potential was reached in later seasons. Yeah. So, you know, Black as Fuck to me is a show that I thought was cool. I like some of the ideas behind it. Yeah. Some of the execution didn't like some of the execution, yeah. but it is a show I think has the, poten- the potential to really get better and grow into itself in the season two. So uh-huh. I'm not hating on that renewal at all. And you, and you have to remember too, that like, this is Kenya's first like real acting, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it may sound easy to be like, yeah, let's make a show like her, but I can imagine for someone that is not an actor, even though he's a funny guy and is a writer, doing that in front of the camera multiple it, it can't be easy. Um I hadn't when I when I saw that it got renewed for season two, I didn't realize it was under fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's better than that, but my hope is that whatever season two is, they learn from some of like, you know, they take the training training wheels off learn from some of the things that didn't work as well and start on that path of continuing better season after better season after better season. Um, I'm, it's just going to suck because I'm going to hate that the little baby is going to be too old and not sound cute when he says I shit my diaper or whatever. Cause that's still, <laughs> that's still the number one punchline in that entire show. In that entire show. Uh, I guess it's just to bring it full circle and wrap it up. Um, if we're talking about, if we're going back into the archives yes. about shows we talked about this year leading up to this list, Oof. a show that I was glad did not make the cut because a lot of thing, another thing that happens with mid-year is you end up getting giving out a lot of participation trophies. Yes. Right? It's not as it's not as uh, cutthroat Word. to be on the best 20 
when we just at the halfway mark. So uh, I'm not mad at Outer Banks not making it. I don't know if you finished it since we finished it, but I finished it, and I wasn't mad I watched it. I was entertained by it. But when you look at the other shows that it's kind of getting compared to, like on the CW or yeah. some of those old Fox shows from way back in the day, like it really is like a first draft version of all of those shows. Yeah, and I mean... It's the most mailed in. Like, so you didn't finish it, right? No. Dude, the, the like the bad guy has no. I I kept. I wouldn't. It's bad when you watch something that you know is supposed to be a turn your brain off exercise. Yeah. And you still can't help but ask questions. Like I love <laughs> turn your brain off shit. I was, I got to the end of the show. I was like, wait. I'm gonna have to spoil it for you. It's fine. It's fine. The homie Jasmine watched right. You watched yeah, Jasmine watched. Yeah. The, the Shout out is, super producer Jasmine. Sorry. The homie is the richest man on the island. Yeah. But he's out here murking people. Over like millions of dollars, like I get Apex like billionaire mindset. Like there's always more money, but come yeah, on, dog. Yeah. like I, it's a, I it's, thought he was gonna have like some secret connection. I thought that um, you it, know, it's like it, two it, mil. No, no, it's a lot of money. Oh, okay. I, I hate that. I don't know if we got to this in that episode, but I mm-hmm. hate now watching um any type of heist movie where the bread is not worth the effort. <laughs> I, that drives me so crazy. Like, We're about to get fifty five blood. dollars, y'all. Five bloods, and I mean, it works for five bloods because you know, like you know, black men in America. Yeah. With some of the raw deal we've been given, of course, you're gonna go into the jungle for just a couple like million. But get I'm thinking, goal. like the, the split, like two million. What the? What are you gonna do? I don't know if you're really retiring off that in, well, <laughs> in Trump's what, America. It's two million <laughs> between five of them. The one girl's already short, uh, rich. The other kid is probably just going to use it for school. Oh, it's four, yeah. right? Yeah. So they get five mil a piece. Yeah, I don't. That's not good. Uh, so uh, Outer Banks had, had there. It, it was going for like three hundred million or something stupid like that. Uh, but um, but they never explain why the rich dude is beasting so hard for all this gold. It's just the thing. And then you know, it's a show that keeps diving into the histories of the town. Which um, one of the shows I always yell at you to watch is The Vampire Diaries, mm-hmm. which is a great great job of like threading the past and the present so i'm it's basically to me having watched all these shows before i'm like all right this is telegraphing that we're gonna meet the um descendant of this ancestor whose gold is stealing he's gonna have a real claim to it because he was a slave Mm -hmm. uh that that bought his freedom word and used it to like you know get get his people going Mm -hmm. no no, you, no, we're not even going <laughs> to engage in that. The black friend and, and the group is not going to be like, hey, you know, where's this guy's family? Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought maybe the black friend was going to be the descendant at least. No. So, so they're just leaving so many things on the table that I myself, just the the viewers, like, all right, I could think of. Yeah. Hum- I could humbly think of like 10 different ways you could make this even a little bit more interesting. So <laughs> you're making it too hard for yourself. But yeah, uh, as fun as that was, you know, glad I'm, I'm glad I use I use that to say that I'm glad we didn't hand out too many participation what, trophies either. I mean, yeah, remember it was going to be 25 at one point and I think Outer Banks was going to be somewhere in in that bottom area and it was kind of what's the point, you know? Yeah. What's the point? And and realistically, once you get outside of 20, there's only so many shows that could or should make it. So I think we're good. Um, again, complex.com. Go to the pop culture channel. Check out the best TV shows of 2020 so far list. Um, let us know if we got it right. Let us know what you think should have been on there, what you thought should have been number one, all that good stuff. Hit us up on uh, at complex pop on Twitter and Instagram. 
please get in the conversation. Um, this podcast, Watch Less, drops every Wednesday, 6 a.m. on Apple Podcasts or wherever you guys get your podcast. Please subscribe, review, comment, share. Whatever you have to do on that service, do that shit so people know who we are and we can keep continuing to bring you content like Giancarlo Esposito interviews, Pamela Adlon interviews, Marlo Kelly interviews, all that shit. We, we got so many ideas. And uh, we just want to make sure we've got a rabid audience who's ready to consume all of that stuff. Uh, I think that's about it. I know the summer man's got to make some uh, some summer plans for a future for him. So we're going to uh, hop out of here for him. My name is Cal. Yes, Advising you as always, don't be a dickhead. Wear a mask. Six feet is still the rule. This is still fucking Corona season. Don't play yourself. I don't care how close we are to Fourth of July. Tune in and watch less. Peace. Peace. Watch Less is hosted by Fraser Tharp and myself, Cal. Our producer is Taliba Newman. Associate producer and sound engineer is Jasmine Plata. Production manager, Chancel Correa. Talent booker, Anthony Allred. Junior booker, Austin Bailey. Our director of talent relations is Kristen Price Harrell. And our senior director of operations is Jen Stewart. Watch less as a part of the Complex Podcast Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.